Hello, folks. Welcome to Holding On With Holder, where I talk to interesting people about interesting topics. My name is Steve Holder, and I am your host. My guest today is Reverend Jeremy Hall, pastor, author, and podcaster. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you, sir. It's good to be here. Glad to have you with me. So to get us started, tell us a little bit about you. How would you describe yourself? How would I describe myself? So, so you dropped in there that I... I'm one of the pastors of a church in North Georgia. We, um, I, I am committed to that Baptist way in that uh, I believe that people are important and people are capable. So I have spent a lot of my career trying to empower individuals uh, to be the fullest version of themselves, to have good relationships with each other, with themselves, and with God. So that, that's the sort of stuff I'm passionate about. Uh, I've got a beautiful family, um, a two-year-old daughter, and a second baby on the way. And so they consume a lot of my attention and a lot of my time and provide a lot of my joy. Yeah. yeah. Especially the time, time thing, right? Oh, yes. But it's, it's so, good. So both of them will be teenagers at the same time. Won't that be fun? Yep. They'll, <laughs> at least they won't outnumber us. I, I know some families with a bunch of teenagers at once. I just don't know how they do it. Oh, okay. Okay. Now you have a podcast called Virtually Church, right? Yes, I, I'm the co-host of two different shows. Uh, Virtually Church is about to start its second season. We'll be recording uh, this month here in September um, our second uh, short-run season. Those are intentionally, the first season was eight episodes. I think this one's also going to be eight episodes. And that one's about uh, having really serious and intentional conversations about the values inherent in the technology we use and asking questions about how those line up with the values of church and how with so many of us going online and exploring different technologies uh, in church world during COVID-19, what are we gaining and what could we risk losing by doing that? And, and we think having those conversations protect us from uh, from getting in the way of our own mission and vision for how to be church in the world. The other show that I host is the Kingdom Ethics Podcast with my co-host, Dr. David P. Gushy, uh, one of the world's renowned Christian uh, ethicists. And on that show, we deal with both um, ethical issues. We've done some framework, how to do ethics, how to think ethically, what is ethical leadership, what is ethical living, but we also take time uh, when things are happening in the world to bring Christian ethical concepts and frameworks and perspectives into those conversations, uh, both for lay people and uh, clergy and academics. Yeah. So it's that one's been a passion project for a few years, and we are in our third season with that. It would be nice if all Christians had the same ideas about what ethical means, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, we aren't a monolith, are we? The, the church has always been diverse. And when she's at her best, the church is beautiful in its diversity. But you're right. We should probably have similar ethical frameworks. I, I believe that there is a Christian ethic uh, to live into as we follow the same Jesus in different ways, at different times, in different places, through different expressions, but you should probably, at the end of the day, look a lot like Jesus. Um, 
But as we've seen, especially in the past couple years, with especially in the West and more specifically the United States, we've been at each other's throats in such a way politically. Um, it's all become politics, right? I, I was having yeah. this conversation. Everything. Yeah, I was having this conversation the other day with another minister um, that all of our politicians have become fundamentalist preachers. You have oh, to be exactly like them or you're anathema. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And that's not the way of the kingdom. Christians right. can't behave like that. Yeah. I think a lot of people have been exposed in the past few years that had good records of being good Christian people, but now they don't appear to be so godly. A lot of us have failed the test yeah. that the past three, four years have given us, and that it's been hard and it's been long. Um, but I, a lot of my career in the church has been working with young people, um, youth ministry, children's ministry, college students. And I do a lot of that here at Townview as well. And, and I think that work is so important because we're training young people in how to be humans and how to be Christians in the world. You have to develop that ethic, for lack of a better term, in peacetime, because when the challenge comes you're not going to, what's the phrase? Um, this is a quote, I don't remember who it's from. You won't rise to the level of your expectations, you will fall to the level of your training. Mm. So if you have not put in the work to develop discipleship, to develop a Christian ethic, to develop a functioning worldview, if your faith hasn't been built in such a way as to withstand pressure like we've had the past few years, it won't. Yeah. Well, you know, talking about Christian ethics gets so complicated when you consider all the different opinions about uh, gay rights, about uh, abortion, about, you know, and left, right, center, right to choose what, you know, and it gets so complicated and so ugly. Yeah. So Those, what, what do you call Christian ethics? I mean, you know what you would say, somebody else in another denomination would say, yeah, well, that guy's crazy, you know, and you know, he, he's people demonic. sound crazy. <laughs> I get, if crazy is the worst thing I get called today, that's pretty good, especially on the internet. I've taken myself onto TikTok. I am Pastor Jeremy Kennesaw on TikTok and people are mean. <laughs> oh yeah. The, um, the times of day that uh, I'm lukewarm or a heretic or a wolf in sheep's clothing um, daily, it's a sizable number. I had a guy this past week who was harassing me about something. I blocked him six times. He was making new accounts to come back wow. and declare me a false prophet. He's so, dedicated, huh? Yes, I was impressed with his dedication because I would have been very annoyed making yeah. new accounts. Um, you can make an evangelist out of him, then he'll work wonders. <laughs> well, that's sort of a, a cross land and sea to make a convert and turn him into twice the sons of hell. Uh, the condemnation that Jesus gave the Pharisees. Yeah. But, yeah. You, you asked a question about how do you find Christian ethics? Is that sort of the question there? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's shockingly simple and surprisingly difficult. 
Um, and to bring it back to super churchy language, it's following Jesus. You build a framework out of who Jesus was, what Jesus valued and values, uh, how Jesus behaved and behaves. And if you, I was raised in the evangelical version of the faith in that tradition. And one of their big, one, one of the big talking points in the evangelical world is a personal relationship. You have a personal relationship with Jesus. And, and I affirm that. I believe that. I think I have a relationship with Jesus. But if you have a relationship, if you know Jesus, you, you form yourself in your pursuing of that relationship and becoming more and more like Jesus. It's that simplicity of what would Jesus do, but then you break that down into all of the, the situations that we face and they become, well, nuanced. And that's the problem because there's not room for nuance in evangelical thinking, in fundamentalist thinking. If you know you're right, if your whole ethic is the Bible said it, I believe it, that settles it. There's not room for you to function in the world. So we have to take the values that we learn in scripture, in relationship, in the, our communities of faith, and in that sacred relationship between the individual and the divine, which, like I said, I care a lot about being Baptist. We care about the priesthood of believers. Everyone has direct access to God. We should be able to form a good Christian ethic, but you have to put the work in. You don't have a relationship with anyone in your immediate life if you don't pursue them. Yeah. So you have a lot of, uh, do you get a lot of flack from other Baptists? Uh, if I understand correctly, you're in favor of gay rights and you're uh, And, and yeah, let's go with that for just a second. Okay. Yes. Um, so uh, I'm one of the pastors of a an affirming Baptist church in North Georgia. Uh, we welcome LGBTQ um, Christians into full membership here. Uh, there's no space they can't. A lot of churches are welcoming. That's that's a word churches like to use. Gay people can come to our church. They can worship here. They can't become members. They can't teach a Sunday school class. They can't serve on a board, pray from the, the worship platform, uh, lead in the service. And, and that's where a lot of churches think that they've done the hard work and made the difficult choice just by being kind to their gay neighbors. Uh, but Townview is affirming, meaning we don't welcome and tolerate. We affirm that you are good, that you are created this way that God is doing something good and beautiful in your life as an LGBTQ person in that Christian life, in pursuing Christ. So we, yeah. in 2019, uh, started a process to change our membership documents from, check this out, this is amazing. What it said was all, <laughs> all who profess faith in Jesus Christ and have been baptized can be members at Townview. But when um, two gay dads asked if they could join our church, we weren't sure what all meant anymore. And so we started a long, painful process 
of defining the word all. And so now it's explicit in our documents that any who profess faith, all who profess faith in Christ, regardless of sexual orientation or gender identity, without exception, are welcome into membership at Townview Baptist, which means they can be elected as deacons, mean they could be ordained, means, uh, and once again, Baptist church, we are a democracy. So the church makes these decisions. We could call a gay minister. Uh, we could have, we have had gay Sunday school teachers. Uh, there's no glass, stained glass ceiling here for the LGBT community. Now, when we did that, 2019, the, the pandemic gave us a smoke screen for a little while, uh, but it did get us kicked out of the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant denomination. <laughs> Thank you. I, <laughs> I do kind of wear it like a badge of honor. I am still a Baptist, lowercase b, yeah. Baptist, and we are affiliated with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship as our denominational network um, now. But we were a solely aligned Southern Baptist Church founded, planted by the SBC in this community uh, 32 years ago. And after 30 years of being faithful Southern Baptists and being faithful members of the Georgia Baptist uh, Convention and our more local body as well of Noonday Baptist, all three of those, uh, well, none of them were brave enough to kick us out. They all waited for the others and they all called each other and everyone wanted someone else to do it. Yeah. But eventually the Southern Baptist came for us and kicked us out. This reveals a lot about how they feel about this issue. If you Google us, Townview Baptist, there's a, a couple dozen articles that you'll find. Some of them, if, if they're uh, individuals, blogs, they're not so nice. Um, but we've been in WAPO, we've been in the New York Post, we've been in the AJC, uh, CNN, um, all over the place, real networks, people worth talking to. And we were shocked that they were interested in our story at all. Um, but the way, when, when we got kicked out, we were thrown out with a group of churches. Two of us had affirmed gay members, welcomed gay members, and the others that were kicked out were uh, churches that refused to fire pastors who had committed some sort of sexual offense, uh, some sort of assault, criminal charges uh, in their congregation. So loving and welcoming gay people is on the same level as a pastor sexually assaulting congregants in the SBC world, all of those. And it's like you were pointing out, all of those sexual issues, they're particularly messy um, and particularly difficult for some of our traditions to talk about. And so we, we gained the ire of many of our neighbors and the international denomination yeah. and the internet. <laughs> like I said, a lot of mean folks on the internet, a lot of wonderful folks oh, yeah. on the internet too. Oh, yeah. So how about the abortion issue? How does your church stand on that? Well, the Townview doesn't have stances on political issues. Um, personally, you can go to the Kingdom Ethics podcast, and I've done a, uh, an episode just on the abortion issue along with my co-host, Dr. Gushy there. And the way that I ended up labeling my stance is that I am compassionately pro-life. I think that life is 
that that is the best outcome of a pregnancy is a healthy birth into a loving family. But I'm deeply compassionate uh, and understanding towards the nuanced and terrifying situations that people can find themselves in, uh, in an unwanted or dangerous pregnancy. Uh, so like I'm, I am uncomfortable with like what's going on in Texas right now. The state has made, has placed new borderlines um, at a heartbeat is at six weeks is the new line in Texas. And that is, that's where I would encourage someone who comes and sits here, just the edge of my couch, someone who comes and sits on my couch here, I'm going to encourage them to find a way to see this new life in an unwanted pregnancy, whatever the circumstance, to see that as a gift, as a beautiful outcome of even a horrible situation, a, a thing of beauty at the end of the nightmare. Um, so for me, a touch of my story, I'm adopted. Um, I was born in, I don't want to make anyone feel old here. I was born in 1990, which as far as I can tell is the United States high watermark for abortions in a single year seems to be 1990. And my mother was a teenager who ended up dying in labor. Um, doesn't happen anymore. It didn't happen as much then. Um, I don't know if she knew it was dangerous when she went into it. Uh, when those documents about uh, my biological parents were released when I was 18, there's no father listed. I don't know if she refused to give him up, if she didn't know if she didn't want him to know, something was clearly wrong here. Teenage mother, no father, had planned for her child to be adopted. And I thank God uh, that I was placed in the beautiful and loving family that I found myself in. And just a word uh, uh, more about adoption. You cut me off if you want me to go in a different direction, uh, Steve, but my it was never a secret. I always knew that I was adopted. There wasn't like a 10th birthday with a cake that says, surprise, you're adopted. It wasn't a conversation that we had when I graduated high school or any of these other stories that you hear from people. The narrative, my story was always given to me as we wanted you. We waited for you. We chose you. We prayed for you and God gave uh, you to us. And so I've always had sort of an understanding of grace and hospitality that is fed into the way that I kind of think about ministry and church, that to be a member of God's family is to have been wanted and waited for and pursued and chosen out of love. Yeah. And so I'm grateful for that piece of my story. Um, and I, I share it willingly whenever having an abortion discussion. And so while deeply concerned um, and compassionate and nuanced about the difficulties faced in pregnancy in general. I'm, there are, um, so I'm living with two pregnant women right now, uh, my wife and we have um, uh, renters in the basement and they're pregnant at this moment. And so there are two pregnant women in my house. It's hard. And if you weren't wanting this, it would be tremendously hard. And 
if you weren't ready for this, it would be terrifying. I'm terrified half the time. And I've already gone, I've already done two years with a baby and I have a supporting and loving family, a good job, a church. I live in a community that I love and I'm still terrified. We have to be compassionate, um, especially pregnancy makes people vulnerable and unborn children are vulnerable. Christian ethics focuses on the vulnerable. Yeah. So what do you think about the fundamentalist right? <laughs> well, I, I was sort of, I was raised there. <laughs> Me too. And, um, you know, they taught me the Bible. I know the Bible really, really well because of how they have designed their way of thinking about the world. Um, I get very frustrated when we, I've been talking about uh, evangelicalism a lot and the fundamentalists write a lot on the Kingdom Ethics podcast uh, because we, David just came out with a new book after evangelicalism about sort of the decline and the, we think, coming collapse of that way of thinking. And I get very frustrated when people say that evangelicals or the Christian right are anti-intellectual because they're not. They're alternative intellectual. The number of end times timelines that I had to learn, the, the intricacies of trying to turn creationist philosophy into science I went to a high school that used Ken Ham textbooks in our science classes. Um, we learned that evolution was not a thing in my Christian high school. Like, it's not anti-intellectual. It was a very complicated intellectual gymnastics had to be learned to do these sorts of things. Um, so I, there is a lot to unlearn, but I am grateful for the love that I was given for scripture. Now, the way that they build their worldview from the scriptures is far too rigid. When you approach, to think that you can approach the God of the universe, what's the, uh, the phrase, wrapped in imperceivable darkness, that the mysterious, beautiful creator, infinite God with certainty as a human is insane. We must hold our faith with open hands rather than clenched fists because they've, they've built this impermeable boundary that has both kept them from their call to be in the world and kept people away from Jesus because they've made themselves the only way to God is through yeah. them. You must agree on everything 100% or you are out just like our politics now. Now, nowhere in the scripture does it say you have to have correct theology to be saved. Thank God. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, now, do you like to preach? The uh, I'm 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 holding back much sermonizing over here. <laughs> I, I'm deeply passionate about the the sermon uh, moment. I, I think about preaching as sort of a a community act of guerrilla theater, um, a moment that emerges uh, when Christians gather to talk about the Bible. Um, and yeah, I'm, I feel most alive when preaching. Now, 
something tells me you're not one of those hellfire and brimstone preachers. <laughs> not not very often. I've been criticized for for a lack of it on occasion. I, I'm a serious preacher. We're gonna do serious Bible work. You can if you go to revjeremyhall.com, my personal website, there's a link to a page that has a collection of sermons. I use a lot of scripture because even if I deliver a really lousy sermon, there will have been enough Bible to, to make up for it, hopefully. Um, I take the text really seriously. I dig into the Greek and the Hebrew, which is one of the things that broke me on the uh, LGBTQ issue was the study of the original languages, but we can get back to that in a minute if you like. Um, but I, I take that preaching moment and the, uh, the honor to be in front of a congregation extremely seriously. Yeah. How many venues are there in the contemporary setting of our lives where someone has an opportunity to weekly monologue to the same group of people? Maybe podcasting and talk radio, but never with the intimacy and trust of a congregation and a trusted pastor. Yeah. Would you rather preach or teach? Ooh, that's a that's really hard. I I like to blend the two. Yeah. Um I get particularly excited about the that time in the pulpit. Um maybe because of how much control I think I have in that space. A lot of times it seems the more I prepare, the more likely the Holy Spirit is to derail me and do something better. But if I don't prepare, that doesn't happen. Um, but teaching is a completely different, um, it's a completely different joy because of the interaction. And I, and I can feed off the energy of the people yeah. that I'm with. And there's, there's probably, there's nothing better than teaching people who want to be taught. Yeah. And nothing more frustrating than trying to teach people that don't want to talk to be taught. Yes. <laughs> I've, I've worked with middle schoolers. I know the pain. <laughs> and you, you had a foray into politics. So I assume there's a similar <laughs> awfulness there too. Talking about jumping into a den of iniquity. Woo! <laughs> No matter what you say, half the people are going to hate it and they're going to tell you about it. Yeah, only half? There's better <laughs> odds than church. <laughs> so what's been your biggest challenge, Jeremy, so far? In, um, in our journey of inclusion? Just overall, a new life. In my life? The, I think the, the biggest struggle for me, is an imposter syndrome. I, I still, so I went and saw my doctor today. Um, here's, here's something that people need to hear from a pastor. You need Jesus and a doctor and a therapist. Um, and I need Jesus and a doctor and a therapist. Um, I take medication uh, for depression and anxiety, and I see a doctor um, to help me regulate these things. And I talk to um, other ministers that I have good relationships with. And um, I'm blessed in my area to have uh, licensed therapists who, who have experience with ministers. Uh, so you need Jesus and a therapist. Um, 
Now that's but, a different kind of altar call. <laughs> but altar call's a good word there. Um, people aren't. It's not a lack of faith that brings about that dark night. It's if you think I haven't tried to pray away the anxiety, you're wrong. Um, no. But I have discovered that God is in it with me that um, I encounter Christ in the parts of me that don't work right. Um, and we see those sorts of stories all throughout the scriptures and the history of the church. And, and these, one of the, the things that those voices uh, from the, the depression, that internal monologue, um, one of the things it says is you don't belong here. You're not good enough. Yeah. Uh, they're going to find out. I don't know what they're going to find out. Maybe that's the worst part, but there's a sense for me of being an imposter in these I roles. Where I'm... Everything you just said in the last five minutes, <laughs> man, the people need to say it out loud more often. And as yeah. part, part of what's important to me as a minister is to tell the truth in, in, any and all circumstances. And um, it gets you I, in trouble sometimes. It gets me in trouble a lot of the time. <laughs> but if we keep the the nice, polite faces up, um, people will suffer and struggle by themselves. Yeah. People will know that they can't go talk to their pastor about their doubts or their depression or their fear because they know what the pastor will say. You need to pray more. You yeah. need to, where's your faith? Son? Yeah. No, you pastors need to be able to say, me too. I remember the first time I told uh, one of my sisters that I was getting, trying to get help with my depression. And it was about 10 years ago. And the first thing she said, well, you need to get in church. <laughs> you know, I've been a Christian and in the ministry for years, but you need to get in church. You know, obviously I wasn't in church, yeah. Much, you know, but a lot of people misunderstand and a lot of people just have been taught wrong things and accepted wrong things, you know? Yeah. And th there's a temptation there that that advice that your sister gave you, that's advice we give ourselves. That's advice I give myself all the time. Try harder. Yeah. When you it really need to be giving up. Yes. Getting some help. Um, my wife sent me on Facebook uh, the, this beautiful poem. I wish I could remember right now who it was from. Um, but it's, it's this poem about a guy who's talking about how hard his life is. And he's praying about it. And he's praying, God, make me strong, make me strong, make me strong. And God says, you need to become soft. You've become too strong. Um. And yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can't find that and send it to you, Steve, because it okay. I had to sit with it for a minute. But God's been teaching me about slowing down, about saying no. I teach, I talk a lot about boundaries for everybody else. But uh, I need to take my own advice sometimes. Um, I've been learning to say no. I've been learning to slow down. And uh, having a two-year-old daughter who's obsessed with tea parties um, is also teaching me how to be soft in ways that I didn't know before. You got to go to those tea parties. 
there <laughs> I've had several people tell me they missed the tea parties and they regret mm. it. And so I I'm very busy. I've got um the the church is full time. The two podcasts are quite a bit. I still I I do um some other things on the side and I'm writing and I'm a doctoral student right now. But you have to make room. You have to make room for your your family and yourself. That's the th constantly hammering this into my people. Reconciliation with yourself, with those around you, and with God. Um, is what we're aiming towards, right relationship with self, others, and God. If you're missing any piece of that, you're missing out on the kind of freedom that you're being offered by Jesus. Yeah. This new way of being human involves humanity, not just spirituality. Yeah. We're not just looking towards heaven. We're yeah. building a kingdom here on earth. And you don't really attract people to what you say by trying to pretend to be perfect people mm -hmm. need to see your vulnerabilities they need to see your failures they need to see that you're human you know yeah. that you can relate to their failings and screw-ups you know we all definitely have them yeah the um you see churches all the time collapse uh blow themselves up because the senior pastor the man in the pulpit, the big charismatic face out front, everyone put their faith in usually him in this minister to be the, the strong one, to be, becomes the security blanket. The preacher believes so that you don't have to. The preacher's strong so that you don't have to be. And when that superhero has a moral failing, usually a moral failing, expresses doubt, makes a serious mistake. The church explodes yeah. because it was all on their shoulders because yeah. they were perfect. And they were the ones that put him on that pedestal. Yep. Yeah. So do you do a lot of reading, Jeremy? <laughs> I can't believe I asked you that question. <laughs> some, some, the uh, most of my, uh, most of my reading right now is prescribed by uh, my doctoral studies, okay. but I do a lot of reading. So what's your favorite genre? Uh, theology. Okay. I'm not, yeah, I know. I'm boring and predictable. I also don't like fiction. I'm really weird. Um, as So I'm dyslexic amongst all my other problems. Words have always been a struggle for me. Um, and so I like books where I can jump around in sections. So yeah. when I read for enjoyment, it's a lot of theology and philosophy where I can sit with sections um, or I taught myself dyslexics can speed read really well. It's very really? odd, um, but I learned how to speed read and I can successfully speed read a philosophy essay a lot easier than I could a novel wow. where each of the words are important. Um, so a lot of reading, mostly theology and philosophy, a lot of that because of school, but that is what I choose to read. Yeah. So what do you think about the present state of the world? The present state of the world. Whew. People text me 
anytime okay especially if something happens in the middle east everyone texts me and asks if it's the end of the world it's not it's not the end of the world but but it kind of feels like it some days <laughs> there is especially in our part of the world a lack of empathy there can be no nuance in our conversations mm -hmm. there can be no divergence in our opinions it's black and white yeah you have to join a team yeah. You have to join a tribe and your tribe must scapegoat all of its problems, anxieties and fears onto another tribe yeah. so that if you believe if you just destroy the Democrats, if you just destroy the Republicans, if you just destroy the conservatives, if you just destroy the liberals, whoever team you want to put in there, if you just destroy Texas, whatever it is that makes you mad as oh, a group. We yep. are the good guys and they are the bad guys. Yeah they, yeah, they could carry away your sins yeah. and you could, if you just destroyed them, the world would be better. That doesn't work. <laughs> and that's not, if we're called to be peacemakers, we have to reject that way of living in the world. But the church so often just calls itself another tribe and goes to war. Yeah. And every time the church goes to war, it loses. And you and I both live in the Bible Belt, so that puts a whole new challenge to it. Yes. The the struggles of Christian nationalism and the I did a a, a teaching series a few years ago uh called just before I was fired from another church for doing this series. Help, I think I'm a polite racist uh, was the name of that series. I was promptly fired for being liberal. I did not find that series particularly liberal. Yeah. But so many of us have not allowed Jesus into all aspects of our life in such a way that we, we have a nice, friendly, kind, Christian worldview that is actually a white middle class worldview and anything that isn't white middle class must be not christian as well um and so we put ourselves in the church into even smaller boxes yeah so was jesus a democrat or republican <laughs> jesus was his own thing um <clears throat> The kingdom of God does not fit cleanly into either of America's political frameworks. Yeah. I, I tweeted, I intended to tweet. I haven't hit send yet. Um, two tweets that will go out back to back. The Democrats fail because they have fallen short of Christian virtues, promptly followed by the Republicans fail because they've fallen short of Christian virtues. The if if you honestly if you truly follow the god of the bible both of those teams are going to get mad at you mm -hmm. and that's a hard way to be in the world um something that we say in leadership um around here is that we we've chosen the hard path um People talk about red and blue churches uh, like red and blue states, and we're a purple church. 
we made that decision and it sucks. It is really hard to be a purple church and learn to tolerate uh, each other and love each other despite of our face masks and MAGA hats. Um, and we all the other hats in your church. We do. Ooh. We, and <laughs> once again, we, we struggle to see the nuance of that. One of our actual MAGA hats uh, was one of the strongest leaders in our movement to welcome the LGBTQ community. Really? Yeah. Uh, he ran he ran defense for me. He took punches so that I wouldn't. Um, and I will always be grateful to him. Yeah. And when we go out for a beer, we argue about politics. You can't say that. You're a Baptist. <laughs> Should I yeah, but I'm a nice one. He meant Kool-Aid, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sweet tea. Uh, if it's sweet tea, you got to add something else. Never mind. Um, no, the, uh, I've got a without being cheesy, like some people try to make programs out of going and getting a beer with your pastor. Um, I don't really have an agenda. You want to go grab a beer? Just give me a call. So how do you think we're doing in America as far as racism is concerned? Are we getting better or worse? So I, I tried to publish a paper um, and a mentor told me not to. I, the title of it was intentionally inflammatory and it was the civil rights movement failed. Um, he thought that was a little too far um, and that readers would not be willing to actually read such a piece. But I've argued that most of the successes that we have seen in our trying to deal with racism in the United States usually just force it a little deeper under the surface. And so we see when we hit things like stressors, like a voting season or a, uh, a refugee crisis or a pandemic or a major storm that a lot of the nice gets knocked away and there's a lot of racism hiding under the surface that we're normally just polite about. A lot of us are polite racists and some of us don't even know it. Mm -hmm. So do I you think, think systemic racism is a thing in the United States? Yes, systemic racism is a thing. That, that does not mean that white people are evil. I happen to love a few white people. Um, I, I know some of them, they're not all terrible, uh, but the system, systemic, has been built in such a way that no one has to be racist for racism to happen. The system can do it all by itself. It's built in, yeah. Right, and so to say um, that there is systemic racism in our banking system does not mean that bankers are racist necessarily. I'm sure some of them might be. Um, it means that the way that the banking system is set up has race in the algorithm that's driving it somewhere. And maybe we don't even know where it is, but you can see the outcome a lot of the times. It's like Jesus said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. If the outcomes have a major racial disparity, you need to look at the system. You need to look at the equation that we ran to give us that outcome. 
And that that's what systemic racism is. And yeah. it exists. It simply does. Yeah. And it, oh. it needs to be, to defeat it, it simply needs to be exposed. Yeah. When you see it, the ugliness requires that we react, that we intervene, that we repair, that we restore. Yeah. That's what justice is. I like to remind people that our forefathers, when they started this great nation, it was only rich, white men that could vote yes. for a long, long time. And they kept it that way as long as they could. So what does that tell you? If that's not racist and sexist, you know, what is it? If mm -hmm. that's the foundation that everything is built on, how could it not be systemic racism? Yeah. That is, that seems like a no-brainer to me. You would think, and we can't, we can't hold the people of the past to our standards, yeah. and our ethics, but we do have to recognize the choices they made. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we need to throw them out. There's, there's wisdom to be learned from our founders but we don't, we need to, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't throw babies. Don't throw babies, that's right. If there's something beautiful that can grow, you keep it. Yeah. But the, the rest has to go. So you, you yeah. just look. Sunlight is incredible as a disinfectant. Yeah. But people are so defensive when you talk about systemic racism because racism, ha racist has been sharpened into a weapon uh, in a lot of political discourse. If you disagree with me, you're a racist Yeah, right there. And what could be worse than that? We've all agreed that that's one of the worst things you can be called. And so we're sick of being called racist. Yeah. And so much so that the word hardly means anything anymore. So would Jesus get a vaccine? Jesus would probably get a vaccine, I suppose. There, there were no vaccines in the time of Christ, but he was concerned with people's physical well-being. One of the marks of the kingdom is healing. If, if we are living in such a way to bring about the kingdom of God, one of the things that will manifest in the way we think about the world and think about our neighbor is health and healing and mutual thriving. Yeah. I got a vac. I got. I'm. I'm modernized up. Uh, my whole family uh, in my home is vaccinated. The other, uh, the other rest of the staff here at Townview is vaccinated for our area for North Georgia. We're doing really good, <laughs> yeah. uh, vaccination wise, in our congregation. Um, I think Jesus would probably get vaccinated out of. Uh, love for himself and his community. There's, I mean, someone's going to watch, someone's going to watch this and be mad and say something about miracles. Um, I, I can't do anything about that. Uh, the miracle we have is a systemic, there's the word again, a systemic miracle. God has blessed us with incredible medicine. Yeah. We should take advantage of it. I kind of get in trouble when I say things like what I'm getting ready to say. Uh-oh. Where has Benny Hinn and all them miracle healers been? Why don't they cure COVID? I'm surprised that we haven't seen them do so on... Yeah, they got a great now. opportunity to shine, you know? 
right? You can have lots of people come up coughing and yeah. you can you can whack them with a Bible and, and and boom, they're healed right there and then. Yeah. But that would that would be an easy one for the cameras, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. I can breathe. But maybe they got stock in the pharmaceutical companies. <laughs> ah. What would the uh, what would they say? Take up your mask and go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but Jeremy, what else would you like people to know about you and your church, your ministry? You want to tell us about your writing, or what? What would you like to say that you haven't said? Well, um, sure, I can tell you about some of the writing projects. There are two oh. that are underway right now. Um, one of them, you can go receive the content for free on YouTube. It was uh, it came about as a spontaneous TikTok activity. The um, the the teenagers at my church were not thrilled that uh, Pastor Jeremy was going to be on TikTok. Um, <laughs> they I get lots of cringe comments from them, uh, so I don't do the trends as much anymore. But I, I try to learn the dances. Um, but I did a series on TikTok when it was still just 60 seconds long uh, with what's in the Bible. There's 65 uh, videos I did for the 66 books. I grouped Ezra and Nehemiah together um, and did as fast as I could. What's, what is the point of this book in 2020? Um, and the series is called The Bible is Irrelevant because that's how I, I ended. I watched some of those. I love it. I oh, love thank it. you. So I did the TikTok thing and it, that went wild. Um, Thousands and thousands of views on each of those. And so I saved them and I re-uploaded them on YouTube. And we're currently in the process of turning that into a book. We're recruiting an artist right now. So that the idea is that you would have this book and you would have a page that is the text of those videos. I, I think of them as an invitation to that book. And then an artist's response to that invitation. What do they see in that? And then the next two pages would be uh, how to read this book and some highlights, some points of interest for the book. And so that for all 66 books. That is in pre-production now. We're recruiting an artist. It's been converted to text. It's going to be really stylized. Really excited about that one. There's also a book in the works. Uh, currently, the project is titled Expansion and Inclusion, and it will be the popular version of my doctoral thesis. So I'm writing the gobbledygook nonsense that is an academic thesis. No one will want to read it. I won't want to read it. Um, demon theses are boring. I've tried to read some peers and I send them lovely emails about how well they're written, but they're boring. So they'll be it'll be reworked for pop consumption, and that's a um, an exploration of the biblical meta narrative, the whole story, the grand arc. I am deeply frustrated by proof texting as a way to do Christian ethics. Oh, I have a question about a subject. I usually just Google. Google what does the Bible say about whatever about war oh there is a verse i will take that verse and build a whole world view around it and never shall i think about this or waver or move at all i think that's a lousy way to use the bible if you yeah. tried to read any other book that way it'd be nonsense and it is when you do that with the bible 
So I, I, I want to take the grand narrative of scripture and use that as our ethical framework. That is the way that the Bible interprets itself. You read, you read scripture through the lens of Christ. You read individual events in the Bible through the lens of the story of what God is doing and has done. And there's, I believe, a trajectory that you can see in the scripture and you can follow it out into the story of the church and find yourself on that trajectory in this great stream of faith. And so that, that's what that book will be about, is about learning how to read the Bible that way. Um, specifically, the case study in there will be about LGBT inclusion, because that's one of those where proof texting has done so much horrible harm that to take the, the six clobber passages and hold those up against the, I think it's 31,000 other verses in the Bible and say, these are the only things that matter in this conversation. It obviously has failed. It's like we said a minute ago, Jesus says, you will know a tree by its fruit. You'll know from the outcome if what you are doing is good. And the fruit of what the American church has done in regards to LGBTQ people, it, the fruit is death. It's suicide. It's loneliness. It's depression. The, when I start the conversation with people, one of the places I go first is the teen suicide rate. Horrifying statistics. Yeah. In, in Atlanta, the largest subset of homelessness are gay teens. That's our fault. That is the church. That is Baptist churches. I... I have repented. I've had to say I was wrong because this is new for me too. I've I've had a just be nice to them sort of thing and and try to and fix. You know, you have to stop sinning, then Jesus will welcome you. But right now, we'll just we'll be nice to you until you fix it, until um, you make the decision not to be gay anymore, which is nonsense. Yeah. Um. And so that's that's what that big work is about. Um, and what my my doctorate is on. And that's been the story of what's gone on here at Townview that we have taken we've taken Jesus seriously in his commands to love and welcome the outsider. If you want to here's here's another just I'm gonna do a sermon in as few words as possible. If you want to find Jesus, go to the margins. So we always here. find. We find Jesus at the bottom and at the edge with the people that we've tried to push out of the world. That's where Jesus is. And, and since, since making our decision and opening our doors, um, we have found more joy in our church. We found more connectivity in our community. This uh, church has never been closer. Our worship has never been more genuine or jubilant or exciting something is happening here. We, we made a very scary decision. We were, we were deeply, we took this so seriously because it, it's the Bible. You can't take it too seriously. Like I was saying, I was raised evangelical fundamentalist. There's nothing more serious than what that book says. And we Bible drills as a kid, right? Yes, sword drills, man. I, I, I won lots of candy finding random Bible verses. Didn't know what to do with them, but I knew where they were. Yeah. yeah. And King James, of course. 
<laughs> Frequently. I was never super into the 1611 only community. Um, but we, we used a lot of the nearly inspired version. Um, and I'll be. Yep. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. That's a good one. Yeah. Well, Jeremy, I really enjoyed talking to you, my friend, and I wish you all the best in all of what you're doing. And it's obvious God is blessing you and you're blessing others. So my hats off to you. Thank you, Steve. I've really appreciated your time. Uh, it's great to be here with you. Congratulations on 100 episodes. Thank you. Thank you. You think maybe that's good enough for one season? I don't know. A <laughs> hundred seems like a good place to take a break. It doesn't seem like you're slowing down any. Actually, I have. I was doing one a day, about five per week for about three or four months. And now this was the first one I've done in two weeks. So I okay. slowed down a lot. So. Two weeks is a good rate. That's that's about what we do with Kingdom Ethics and is about what we'll do when we pick back up season two of uh, Virtually Church. Do about every other week, gives you time to process and relax. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's a good program. I'm glad that uh, that we found each other. I'm glad to have subscribed. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And what's your website so everybody will know how to find you? RevJeremyHall.com. Uh, from there, you can find uh, connections to both of the podcasts, to a lot of my writing, uh, all of my socials. Um, I'm available for booking for podcasts and speaking, uh, though, of course, COVID makes that difficult right now. Uh, but we can always be creative. Okay. My brother, thank you again for being my guest, and I wish you all the best, and uh, keep doing all the good things you're doing. Thank you, sir. Grace and peace. And to you. Folks, thanks for tuning in to Holding On With Holder. Please subscribe to my channel and feel free to share this video all over social media and check out Jeremy's website. Thank you, brother. Have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye.